Hashtag murder may contain explicit and disturbing material and may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Hashtag Murder. Woo! <laughs> I'm Scar. And I'm Alex. And we're millennials who love murder. And making fun of men with the man flu. <laughs> uh, yeah, Dustin stopped over at Harley and Clinton's house just to hang out because mm-hmm. he had an appointment over there. And he went inside. He tried to call him, didn't answer, couldn't answer because he was so on his death's doorstep, as (laughs) Dustin said. He was so far gone. And I can't stand it. I can't stand it. So literally, I, Kayla cut my hair yesterday. And as I'm, we're leaving the barber shop, Clinton calls me and he sounded a little sniffly. I was like, okay, I see where this is going. So uh, I texted Jenna, who was like my partner hub at work or whatever. And I was like, all right, I bet you 10 bucks. Clinton's going to have the man flu tomorrow. And what do you know? He did. He He texted me this morning. He said, feeling really under the weather. I was like, I'm sure the fuck you are. I was like, I literally, I've been sick all week because Ray was sick last weekend and she gave me her icky child germs. (laughs) So I had the same symptoms that he had. You know what I did? I worked all week. Yeah. Yep. Isn't that crazy? It's wild. It's like we can work through a little baby cold. Yeah. We or don't... some slight inconvenience. Yeah. It's fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, um, <laughs> or like when our uteruses are literally bleeding from out the inside out. We're fine. <laughs> it's fine. We're good. I still go to work. Take some Motrin. You're, Not happy fine. about it, but I'm still there. Yep. Like um, he uh, texted me today. He's like, I have to take a break from these screens. Give me a headache. Oh. I'm like, you know what's giving me a fucking headache? you <laughs> i did call dust now on the headache oh babe i got this splitting headache every day almost every day, every day. so he's taking a nap yeah mm-hmm. the nap heals all naps do <laughs> they heal all ailments <laughs> oh i love them so much but good god get it together <laughs> they are the like the poster children for the man flu <laughs> oh it's true um okay switching gears entirely oh um, I ordered a new backpack. Oh, you showed me the backpack. And there are few things in life that I love more than A, a good backpack. You do love a backpack. And B, Lisa Frank. It's an, it, And it like feels exactly the way that you would imagine it to feel. Like that old 90s, like plastic like nylon. nylon. It's, I don't it's even squishy. Know it's, not, it's squishy. Yeah, it's, it's nice. It's like foam in between the plastic... Like, if if Lily gets a hold of that thing, it's done. Oh. And then she she would would be be done. done. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think so. Uh, But I ordered the backpack and a wallet. And then I also got a Goosebumps wallet. Oh, yeah. Because maybe number three thing that I love in my life is Goosebumps. Mm -hmm. I have that game. I, one day, I had a real feeling that I just needed to relive my childhood as i do many days mm-hmm. but anyways so i bought um or i looked up this game that i had as a child and it's the one day at horror land horror land horror horror okay <laughs> and it's a goosebumps game i've never heard of it i oh. read a, i read a bunch of goosebumps book those books when i was a kid like the whole like series didn't know they had a game yeah there was a couple games and Okay, wait, what were your favorite books? Were they the original or the choose your own ending? The original. Oh, I no. want I wanted to tell me. No, ma'am. Ooh, and, um, I'm a choose your own ending girl. Did you ever read uh, Benuncula, the little fucking vampire bunny one? I'll show you the cover <laughs> while you tell me this story. No, I've never heard of that. Benuncula? Benuncula. Benuncula? Mm-hmm. It's a vampire rabbit. Why don't you have a picture of it on the website? Hold on. Are you sure it's not Benicula? Benuncula. Right there. Look at him. He looks like Katniss, but a bunny. He does. It is Benicula. It's not Benuncula. No, it's Benuncula. No, it's not. I pronounce it however I want. Because <laughs> uh, if you read it in your own head, you yeah, say it however the fuck you want. I can say however I want it. <laughs> oh, did I talk about this? No, I don't think I did. I ordered a Barbie game. 
Oh, you told me. That I had whenever I was like 10. A, a child? Yeah. <laughs> and it's a CD-ROM. And I really hope it works on my laptop, my old laptop. And it comes with a little genie bottle. And you rub the genie bottle and Barbie comes out and she helps you solve all the mysteries. My favorite thing is that on that like CD-ROM, like on the box, it says that you have to have like Windows 95. <laughs> <laughs> or it at won't work. At least Windows at, 95. At least. <laughs> or else it's not going to work. Oh my god, I'm so excited. Um, But anyways, we've gone on too long. And I'm going to tell you... A story. A bonkers story. About a girl. About several girls. Oh. Several women. There's some paranormal. There's Jesus a murder. Christ. I know, I'm sorry. And I, you know, I love the paranormal. I'm not sure it's all true. But I do love it. And there's a kidnapping. Oh, so, I do love a good kidnapping. Yeah. Um, it's bad. And we're going to bounce between all of these stories intermittently. So try and stay with me. Oh, you have multiple stories. In there one... are multiple stories. Yes. All right. I'll try to keep up. So <laughs> try and keep track. Uh, okay. We're going to start by talking about a little lady named Jodie Foster. Silence of the Lambs? <laughs> Not that Jodie Foster. Oh. No, different Jodie Foster. So Jodie, in present day, she is a mother and now a grandmother, and um, she was born and raised in Orange County, California. Jodie, at the time, was a single mother to a daughter named Hannah, who she gave birth to in 1997. Is that okay. you? Is no. That age? 94. Oh, that's Kylie. Mm -hmm. Okay, never mind. Um... In a few years after her daughter's birth, Jody and Hannah pick up and move to Chico, California, where she rented apartment 14 in the Walnut Grove complex, which is now called the Village at Chico on Parmac Road. Jody said it was a nice older complex and they'd kept up with the landscaping and the pool and she just felt drawn to it immediately. Jody and Hannah move in on January 31st, 2000, when Hannah is three and Jody is 33. Oh, that's my sister's birthday. It is? Well, she wasn't born in 2000, but her birthday is January 31st. Oh, nice. We're actually going to come back to that date, so don't forget uh, it. She might have been mm, She might have been born the same year as Hannah. I don't remember. Hold on. She's four years younger? No, she's born in 98. Never mind. Uh, boom. Um, okay, now Jody was in love with the apartment complex, but not necessarily her specific apartment. I feel that. Yeah. I don't like my specific apartment. You don't? No, the fucking like maintenance people, they don't fix jack shit. Oh. Kayla's is nice. Mine, not so much. Really? Mm hmm. And y'all switched over there, what, back in October? Yeah, uh, it was October or November, I don't remember. Oh. It's just a little older than the other one. The other one was real nice and, like, new. It was nice. This one's old. Oh. Um, mm -hmm. Does Elise have, like, character? Charm? Or just nothing works in it, so. <laughs> it's got character. It's got a sunroom, which is nice. Oh! Yeah. It's perfect for the cat tree. The, yeah. Their little villa that's oh. right by up by the window. I need to come visit. Have I really not been there? I don't think so, but it's on the third floor, so you might not appreciate it. No. No elevator? No elevator. No, ma'am. Yep, I will no. not be visiting. <laughs> <laughs> Count me out. Now, um, she so Jody states that it kind of had a dark energy and a weird chemically smell. And Jody was just uneasy about the living situation, and I totally get this because whenever I first moved here, mm -hmm. I thought my apartment was haunted. You did. I remember this. <laughs> I would see things out of the corners of my Oh, house. and the eggs. And it smelled like rotten eggs. I don't know why, but it smelled like rotten eggs. The, well, the leasing person told me it's because we were too close to the ocean and that it was just going to have to smell like rotten eggs for like 24 hours until all the water cycled through. What? Yeah. I've never fucking heard of this. Yeah. I'm from here. <laughs> I guess that was just a lie she told me. As to get you to shut that up. That I would believe as a Kentuckian. The tuck. <laughs> um, um, so Jody was just uneasy about the living situation. Oh, God damn it. I just said that. Okay. So, like, she's moved into this new place and she doesn't know anyone yet. And it's just her and her daughter. So it's both scary and exciting. So for the chemical smell, was it, like, formaldehyde or something? No. She actually said it was, like... Um, like a carpet cleaning kind of smell. Okay. Like they had just like steamed or 
whatever. Yeah, with like that heavy grade stuff. Yeah. Okay. But some they gotta get the blood out of the carpet because someone probably died in there. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, not exactly. Okay, I'm close. Sort of. Okay, we'll get to it. Ghostbusters. <laughs> so some strange things start happening. Items would be moved. Oh, that's like the Daniel LaPlante one that we covered where he was hiding in the walls and he would just go in and move shit and then hide back inside the wall. Yeah, that was my first thought Mm -hmm. because, okay, here's the thing. I do believe in the paranormal. I believe in the spooky, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Unless I have personally experienced something, I have a hard time believing it. Yeah. Now I have heard, I have heard a ghost. Have I told you this? Yes, you have. (laughs) And it was whenever I was dating this guy and I was staying at his parents' house with Mm -hmm. him and we were staying upstairs and it was two bedrooms upstairs and this house was like a hundred something years old. Old. Old, old house. And the room that I was staying in was way too hot. And I was like, I'm going to go to the other room. So I went to the other room and then I laid down and I heard boot steps not footsteps. Boot. Someone wearing boots was walking up the stairs at like 2 or 3 a.m. What in the hell? Yeah. And then I, of course, hid under the covers. And then I was like, fuck that. I grabbed the lamp and I sat with my back against the door holding the lamp. I was like, if somebody fucking comes in here, you they're getting a lamp him. to the goddamn face. Mm-hmm. And then it just went away. And then... I got back in the bed and I fell asleep. And then the next morning, I asked his mother, I was like, or she was like, how'd you sleep? And I was like, not super great because it sounded like somebody's kind of up the stairs at like two in the morning. She's like, oh, that just happens. Casual. I was like, no, ma'am. <laughs> Casual. No. Way to fuck ma'am. up your guest. Oh, yeah. that's, that's just Frankie the ghost. <laughs> it was not good. So that's my only ghost experience I have. I do not have any experiences with things moving, so I have a hard time believing this, but I'm just going to tell you the story anyway. Well, I think more than likely, because um, I have been experienced with an ADHD child named Ray, and she just be moving shit that she doesn't remember moving, and she didn't do it. She swears that she did not do it, but <laughs> it she fucking me. did. It wasn't me. That's probably what it was. Uh, now, Hannah's only three, so... I don't know. Does she be moving shit and she doesn't know? She's three. That's possible. But anyways, so items would be moved. Specifically a pair of Hannah's tiny pink shoes that somehow always ended up in the middle of her bed. Things in the kitchen would be moved. So there's some bizarre things going on here. Not only were these paranormal activities happening, Jody started having some pretty intense and vivid dreams. Jody describes one of these recurring dreams and says that she kept seeing a young woman with dark hair walking alone down a residential street and that a bluish gray car would pull up next to her and ask if she needed a ride. Then a man would come up behind her and put something over her mouth and then she would wake up. So just keep this dream in mind. Also, I feel like I'm not telling you a true crime story. This this is Goosebumps, Ah. the story. Uh, okay, so Hannah, Jody's daughter, also had an imaginary friend whom she'd often speak to in reference. And this imaginary friend's name was My Liz. Like, M-Y space My Liz. Well, she's three. She's just probably calling her My Friend Liz, but it's My Liz. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, maybe. Did you read these? Nope. Okay, good. This reminds me of, um... (laughs) Uh, this book I read last year, Hidden Pictures, this kid is like drawing pictures of scary dark things and then like his babysitters or his nanny's looking at them. This is what it reminds me of. Oh. I also didn't like that book because it was not believable. <laughs> like the <this> story. <laughs> uh, I believe portions of it. But anyways, so imaginary friend named My Liz and Hannah, the three-year-old, would draw pictures of her friend And she always had dark curly hair, wore a white t-shirt, and had bright blue eyes, and always had on a lot of mascara. She kind of sounds like my sister growing up. (laughs) She really laid on the mascara (laughs) and the eyeliner. Uh, Oh, I feel like that was a super, what, 70s, 80s, you gotta have gigantic eyeballs or else you mean nothing. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
Uh, so there was another night that Jody and Hannah went out to dinner and whenever they got home, the receiver for their phone was wrapped around its own cord in the floor of a closet. And all of Hannah's toys were piled up in a big heap in the middle of the floor and on top of the pile was a talking Ernie doll with a shoelace noose wrapped around its neck. <laughs> like Ernie from Sesame Street? Yes. The hell? Um, this is a psychopathic <laughs> three-year-old. <laughs> so one night in February, just a month after moving in, Jody is awakened in the middle of the night by the TV being turned on and the static of the TV flickering, lights were turning on and off, and the Ernie doll kept saying, I'm great. I'm great. I'm great. <laughs> Did she have a Furby? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. Uh, then it was singing Twinkle Twinkle Little Star, despite the batteries allegedly being removed. Allegedly. Um, also, Furbies, you could remove the batteries and they would still fucking talk. <laughs> they would still talk. It's so creepy. Um, and then I put, pretty sure you got spirits, babe. And then I put, and possibly someone living in your walls. <laughs> Who was doing Daniel. this? Daniel, where are you? Yeah. Um, but anyway, so mostly what we're taking from this is the vivid dreams that she's been having and the imaginary friend so the next morning jody goes to sit by the pool and is distraught on what to do about her living situation whenever she is approached by an older man walking his dog who had lived in these apartments for like 25 years and he tells jody that no one ever lives in her apartment for very long and jody's like go on and this old man says that there was a girl who lived in that apartment whose name that he could not remember but she had been a missing person for quite some time now. I bet you the leasing office is just like, all right. Sending we're gonna... out this old man to tell Laura's story. We're going to do a pool <laughs> and whoever can get the resident to sign a lease and live there the longest wins. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, so here we go. So all of this with Jody and Hannah is happening in 2000. So now we're going to go back in time to January 31st, 1976. Same date. Same date. Anna's birthday. Yeah. And the Chico County Dispatch receives a missing persons report from Marie Elizabeth Spanicky, who went by the nickname Marliz. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. Oh, uh, it gives me chills. It's weird. Okay. What does she look like? <laughs> Marliz was an 18-year-old white female, 5'5", 110 pounds, curly brown hair, blue eyes. All right. Do I have your attention now? I still think it's fake, but you have my attention. <laughs> uh, so Marliz's boyfriend filed the report. Apparently, they'd gone to this flea market, and they got in some sort of argument, and Marliz decided to walk back to the apartment. And was never seen or heard from again. Because the boyfriend fucking killed her. Well. So the boyfriend last saw Marliz walking down Mangrove Avenue away from the flea market. Before he fucking shot and killed her. And that's it. Or hung her from a noose with a shoelace. I don't know. <laughs> no, that actually did not happen. Oh. We'll get to it. Okay. Don't you jump the gun. I'm just guessing. I love making <laughs> guesses. So, a little background on Marliz. She had four brothers and sisters. She's originally from Cleveland, Ohio, and had big dreams of making it in the movie business. She was very friendly and outgoing. She had very bright blue eyes and dark curly hair, and people were drawn to her. People love the dark and then the light contrast thing. It's true. Mm -hmm. It's hard to not look at that kind of person yeah. i'm like do you know you're gorgeous stay cute yeah so in 1975 marliz fell in love with a co-worker named john baruth the boyfriend from the flea market and john was from california originally and was moving back to his home state at the end of the year and asked marliz to join him and she did not only was she excited to get out of Ohio, but she was going to be one step closer to becoming a famous actress. Because we're going to California. Yep. So over the next month or so, Marliz would write to her older sister, who she was very close with. I think there was about a three-year age gap. 
And in these letters, she would tell her sister that California wasn't anything like she dreamed it would be. She didn't know anyone there other than John. And then her and John were starting to get into arguments and that things just weren't really working out and that she would be heading back to Ohio in April of 1976. And she never made it back. So in uh, the same year is when the case that I'm going to do next week, it's when that cult is uh, booming and arriving. Oh, in yeah. California? In California, in Los Angeles. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm excited to hear that. So maybe she was just killed by um, the Source family. Well, or she started living with them. <laughs> We're going to get to it. Uh, so the missing persons case of Marie Elizabeth Spanicky went cold in 1977, which was 23 years before Jody and Hannah moved into her former apartment. I need to look to see if there's anybody that died or went missing in my apartment. Yeah, I would love to know. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, Kendra, we're going to tell them it's haunted and we want a fucking reduction on our rate. Or right. Moving out. You know, the apartments, actually, you might know this because you're from here. The apartments I lived in used to be a movie theater. Yeah. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I looked it up. I was like, what if it was a cemetery? No, it was a movie theater. <laughs> because I could have sworn it was haunted. I saw one of the, um, I only went to that movie theater once. I saw one of the Spider-Man movies there. What? Mm-hmm. Get out of here. That was the perfect location. I could not have asked for anywhere better to live. And you live. just like threw like a dart at the map and you're like, I'm going to live right there. Yeah. Because they're giving me a month's free rent. <laughs> yeah. Check. Uh, and my apartment faced the woods. Mm-hmm. It was great. And uh, what's her face? Uh, your, your Hitler cat. Lemon. She fucking loved looking out that window. She did. And we had a little bird, a little yellow bird that would fly into the window. Or not into the window, but next to the window. Mm-hmm. And she they would stare. just like hang chill. out, chill. It was so weird. I've never seen like a yellow bird in the wild. Yeah, they just they were having a good <laughs> time. They're besties. It was so weird. Um, but anyways, okay. So back to Jody. While she's still living in this apartment, her dreams get progressively more strange. She keeps seeing the young woman being forced into the bluish gray car, and she's with a couple, a man and a woman, and they drive her to a house, and the couple places the woman in the basement or cellar of the house. And it's all around a creepy room, almost dungeon-like. There's metal hooks hanging from the rafters. It's dark and musty, and the girl who was taken was tied up with a rope with something covering her mouth. And the couple just does these weird and sadistic things to this teenage girl oh it's like the toy box in her dreams killer a little bit a little little similar i'm glad you have no idea what's going on some parallels here yeah um so with all these bizarre things happening surrounding the apartment jody decides to move her and hannah out about three months after they moved in to another apartment in chico and they brought casper the ghost with them (laughs) well Sort of. And keep in mind, Jody has no idea what happened to this girl that lived in her apartment. She was just a little skeptical of the old man and his dog and never really looked into his claims that someone had gone missing from that very apartment until... Why wouldn't you look? If some, if some old man walked up to me and be like, oh yeah, a girl went missing in your apartment, I would look up anything I could find. I would too. And this is what, 2000? 2000? We got the internet, right? Right? Barely. But yeah, we got it. We also have libraries with like archives and stuff like that. The card catalog. The card catalog. Is that what it's called? I don't know. Oh, that's Whitney. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's what it's called. Um, Okay, so Jody has no idea what has happened at this apartment that she is currently living in or had lived in. So a few months after they moved out, Jody started dating and she and this one guy were getting pretty close and she told him all about the strange things that had happened in her old apartment. And one day, the new boyfriend stumbles across this book and the book is called The Perfect Victim. And we'll get back to this book a little bit later on. So he finds this book and does some research and finds newspaper articles on Marie Elizabeth Spanicky's disappearance. Now, I'm not exactly sure what prompted this. I guess she was mentioned in the book, I guess. I don't know. But he came across this book and he told Jody about it. So now Jody's like looking into it now. Jody, we need to be more curious, my dear. <laughs> so... 
the new boyfriend comes across this newspaper article by Sanford Nax titled Chicoin's been missing five years and the article states and it's long so stay with me quote where is Elizabeth Marie Spanicky? Chico police been trying to answer that question for five years ever since the then 18 year old girl disappeared from Chico without a trace a private investigator, a psychic, and the Federal Bureau of Investigation and even an African witch doctor have looked into the case. The result has been a wild goose chase of a staggering amount of man, says Chico police detective Art Suniga. Miss Spanicky, also known as Marliz Spanicky, was last seen on January 31st, 1976, walking away from a flea market at East 20th and Mulberry Street, described by Sun as quiet and attractive. The woman was not reported to be despondent or under any stress. Except for the blue jeans and sweaters she was wearing at the time, her clothing was still at her Parmac Road apartments. Chico PD was assigned to the case after the teenager's boyfriend reported her missing. The 33-year-old boyfriend, a Chico State University student named John Baruth, agreed to take and pass a polygraph test in connection with her disappearance. All right, um, we, we didn't look into this African witch doctor. <laughs> I knew that was going to be the thing <laughs> that you were going to say. He and seems like a credible, funny. credible guy. Yeah, and it's funny that those two things were mentioned in this newspaper article, and then we have someone now in 2000 experiencing some sort of psychic something. And here's the thing. I believe Jody. I believe that she believes that everything happened to her and the things were moving and... I mean, she went on and on. I left a lot of it out, but like there were cords that were swinging and there were cabinets that were opening and it was a whole thing. But I do believe the dreams. Um, okay. So Jody is reading this article and she's like, OMG, Marliz, just like Hannah's imaginary friend, my Liz. Well, you know, cats and children, they love seeing ghosts. So. Oh, Lily was staring into the corner where the wall meets the ceiling. I could not break her stare. I was like, Lillian, tell me what you were looking at. Lily has two brain cells. (laughs) That's true. They just be bouncing off of each other like a Windows logo on the computer. That's true. It's bad. Uh, She's our special girl. She's real special. Love her so much. She's so pretty. Katniss be seeing ghosts, though, and spirits. She just stares. Yeah. And And her mouth is just open just a little bit. And I'm like, what are you doing? You're you're scaring me. (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, okay. Mm, My list. So, Jody goes to Hannah, and she's like, hey, remember that imaginary friend you had whenever you were, like, three? And Hannah's like, yes. And she shows her a picture of Marliz. And Hannah says, yes, this is the girl that I was seeing in that apartment. Also, I can't remember if I mentioned this earlier, but Hannah would draw these pictures of her imaginary friend. And the drawings are incredibly similar like for a three-year-old's drawing mm-hmm. to what Marliz actually looked like. It's weird. Uh, okay. We'll I know going. you're not. <laughs> I ain't buying it. I know you're not following me on this journey. I ain't journey. buying it. <laughs> uh, but I love it. So anyways, so now Jody is trying to learn everything she can about Marliz and her disappearance. And upon some digging, she learns that her disappearance may be tied to a couple who lived in Red Bluff about 47 miles northwest of Chico. Mm. Now, we're going to go back in time again to November 7th, 1984. So eight and a half years since Marliz's disappearance and 16 years before Jody and Hannah move into Marliz's old apartment. Is this a movie? Did you so watch it's... a movie and you thought it was real and you saw you wrote up a story about it? <laughs> it's possible. Scarlett was watching Hulu. She saw this movie. <laughs> Saw this movie, she wrote it up, she really thought it was real. Because nope. as we know, I will believe anything. So re- I'll believe anything. That's sh- that childhood trauma coming through that you need to believe everything I'm telling you or else you're going to hell. So I'm just going to believe it. Yep. Gerard <laughs> Butler was in this movie. That's why she was so intrigued. <laughs> oh, God damn it. Okay. Uh, blah, blah, blah. So it's 1984, and a detective is summoned to the Church of Nazarene, where he is met with the preacher who is speaking to a woman named Janice Hooker. 
And Janice was extremely upset and crying and having a hard time getting this story out that she was trying to tell. She finally calms down and tells the preacher and the detective that her husband, Cameron Hooker, kidnapped and killed a young woman in 1976 in Chico, California. She said she was coming forward with this information because she was afraid of her husband and was finally going to speak up about what he'd been up to for the past eight years. All right, well, I'm going to give Jody the benefit of the doubt. She said that both people in the couple were torturing the girl. So Janice is a terrorist. She's just trying to be, she, she's pissed off at her husband, like Jesse Ray was oh, at her yeah. dad. And so she's just throwing him under the bus. Because yeah. you're not going to believe that a woman could do all those things. Oh, uh hundred percent this was end rant a, yes this was a package deal <sighs> so the detective is like okay i'ma read you your miranda rights and let's get to the bottom of this to which janice immediately shut up and asked for a lawyer what's the name of this movie nightmare on mulberry street <laughs> it's not a movie <laughs> it's real the ghost of chico town <laughs> Uh, so the detective called the DA's office and was like, hey, this lady just said her husband murdered someone and that's really all I've got, to which the, to which the DA says, all right, I'll grant her immunity if she keeps talking. That's it. Immediately grants immunity. Uh, it, what if she I just was went, already talking. Let's, let's hypothetically say I murdered somebody and I went up to a police officer and was like, yo, like, hey, my ex-wife, she murdered this guy. He'd be like, all right, hold on. Calls DA. Yep, you're immune. I'd be like, all right, this is how she did it. <laughs> but like, she Bam. was already telling. Stupid. Why? That really made me mad, as you can Well, see. she's a woman. She could never commit murder. She could never. Ugh, God damn it. So they all go down to the station, and Janice Hooker tells the detective all about her husband, Cameron, and his sadistic and strange sexual behaviors, and how he murdered Marliz in 1976, whose full name she thought to be Marie Elizabeth. Because there's only, I don't know, 10,000 Marie Elizabeths in the United States. That's true. But she knew that her name was Marliz, or that she went by Marliz. Which is very Mar-Liz. not a common no, nickname. No, 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 no. Janice goes on to say that on January 31st, 1976, she and Cameron were driving down Mangrove Avenue when they spotted Marliz walking alone. Cameron had circled the block a few times before stopping to speak with Marliz, and Janice knew that her husband wanted to kidnap a woman. Yeah, because so did Janice. Well, yeah. She was... I have mixed feelings I'm, about Janice. I'm a poor, battered wife. My husband's so mean to me. Blah, 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 blah. No, she, you fucking did it. Yeah. Well, she did some not so great things. So Cameron offers Marliz a ride. He's there with his wife. Everything seemed very safe. Marliz enters the vehicle and Cameron starts asking questions. He asks her name, where she's from, where she's going. She said she was new to the area. She didn't have any family there. For future reference, don't ever tell strangers that. Yeah. Like if you're in an Uber. And they start asking some very specific questions. Act like you're on the phone with your mom or your boyfriend, your dad. You're very scary large lumberjack six foot four (laughs) husband that's a linebacker in the nfl yeah uh although this was different times this was the 70s that's true so yeah and this whole thing is uh very upsetting but this next part is particularly horrifying so at one point marliz is getting the feeling that this was a bad idea and she tries to escape out of the vehicle Cameron grabs her, puts a knife to her throat, and forces her back into the car. He then places a wooden box that he has constructed over her head and handcuffed her hands behind her back. Oh, this gives me toy box killer vibes because he made those uh, handcrafted boxes that he would put his victims inside of. And, like, all they could see was, like, complete darkness. But they would have to listen to whatever he was doing to, like, other victims. Real creepy. Yeah, it's not good. So, the 20-pound box was made of wood and styrofoam with metal hinges and latches. 
So it's essentially a soundproof room inside of a wooden box that goes on someone's head that will prevent them from screaming and being heard. Imagine having to wear a 20 pound hat. That's what she's wearing on her head. Oh, yeah. It's like, that's like exhausting. And we'll get to it a little bit later on, but it almost can't be done. Like, you're not used to holding up that much weight no. on your, with your neck. Yeah, that's a lot of, like, pressure on your neck. It's got to, like, hurt your back, your spine, shoulders, probably. It's going to get a lot worse here. Okay. So, that's why I started with the paranormal. <laughs> I was going to leave that part out, but I was like, you know what? It's interesting. I don't know if it happened, but it's fun. So... Cameron and Janice have Marliz in the car and drive the 45 minutes from Chico to their home on Oak Street in Red Bluff, California. Janice said that they pulled into the garage behind their house, parked, and she went inside. She came back out to the garage a few minutes later and saw Marliz standing outside of the car, confused and disoriented, and then saw her husband soak a rag in starter fluid and put the rag over Marliz's mouth to knock her out. Ooh. Cameron and Janice then carried Marliz's unconscious body into their house and into the basement. Once again... This is extremely upsetting. So, yes, blanket warning. So, Cameron wanted to keep and torture this young woman, but he did not like hearing her scream. So, he'd done some research on how to cut someone's vocal cords so they could no longer scream, but still be alive. So, Cameron then carried Marliz upstairs to the bathroom and tried to sever her vocal cords. Ugh. That's bad. It's bad. It's real bad. So, Cameron instructed Janice to help him and that if she didn't cooperate, he would do the same thing to her. Okay. So Janice went into the bathroom and sat on the floor next to Marliz and held her head in place while Cameron tried to remove her vocal cords. I don't even want to know how that's done. Are you going to tell me? That's so upsetting. No, I am not going to tell you. No, we're not going to get all into that. (sighs) So Cameron, really having no idea what he was doing, cut... Marliz's throat too deeply and she began to bleed out from her neck. So Cameron decides to carry her back down into the basement and he hangs her by the neck from a chain tied to the rafters in the basement, unclothed with a pillowcase over her head. So Cameron Hooker had just murdered Marliz less than 12 hours after he abducted her. It's not quite unusual for like if you're abducted for you to be killed that quickly that's true but, but that i think was he not planned the intention in yeah. goal yep so cameron once again instructs his wife janice to help him put marliz's body into the trunk of the car it's about 2 a.m on february 1st at this time cameron and janice drive 30 miles north towards redding on i-5 then east towards lesson park they turned off a dirt road dug a shallow grave, and buried Marie Elizabeth Spanicky's body and burned all of her clothing. So that's that. And then... You would think, but there's more. But there's more. <laughs> I feel like I said that a lot in the last episode I recorded, but there's a lot more. So, Janice, the murderer's wife, who's still being interviewed by detectives, states that Marliz was not the only victim of her husband. Now we're going to May 19th. 1977. My birthday. We have my sister's that birthday, is your and, birthday and my birthday. Uh, see, things are aligning and I don't like it. Still fake paranormal. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> uh, so this was a year and three months after Marla's disappeared and a young blonde teen named Colleen Stan goes missing. Sounds familiar. It probably does. And you probably know why but you probably haven't heard the rest of all of this nonsense yes colleen was hitchhiking six hours and 12 minutes from eugene oregon to westwood california to surprise her good friend named linda for her birthday party 
Her roommates drove her to I-5, where she hitches two rides before ending up in Red Bluff, about 100 miles from her final destination, when she unfortunately hitches a ride from Cameron and Janice Hooker and their baby. Their baby? They have a baby? They do. So, Colleen was hitchhiking, sees this family of three, and is like, this is fine. They got a baby. Yeah. So Colleen is enforced into the backseat of the car and Cameron places that same soundproof wooden box over her head. Colleen was 20. And Janice goes on to say that Cameron had kept Colleen as a slave. Now this is whenever she's telling the detective at that church her confession. She says that Cameron had been keeping Colleen a slave for the past seven years and that he kept Colleen in a wooden box under a waterbed for 20 to 23 hours a day for seven years, only letting her out to commit horrific sex crimes against her and torture her, all the while Janice still living in the house with her husband and Colleen the captive. Okay. This is so fucked up. So, um, I'm all, uh, like, I fully support battered wife theory, Stockholm syndrome, all that good stuff. But I think if you're like that far deep into it and you really don't want to come out about your like captor or abuser or whatever, you're not just going to randomly do it and then tell officers everything they want to hear. Like giving all those details. Like they have to like force it out of you. And it feels like she's just spilling all the tea. She did. She told him everything. Yeah, because she was part of it. Oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Well, she herself was a teenager whenever this first happened. So I'm going to give a slight pass for that. I'll give her a slight pass for that, but I still think that if... I think she heard immunity and she was like, okay, I'll just spill all the tea now. Yeah, well... Because they can't do shit. I mean, he was obviously scary as fuck. Yeah, he was definitely scary as fuck, but what makes you come out now about it? Yeah, that's true. I don't know. No, it's... Oh, it's crazy. Uh, Okay. But in 1984, Janice told Colleen that she was done with Cameron and that she was going to leave him. Also, oh, this is where we get to her age. Janice was 16 whenever her and Cameron got married. She was 17 whenever he murdered Marie Elizabeth. And 18 whenever he kidnapped Colleen. So she herself was a child, but like to live and stay with this monster for as long as she did is just crazy and also they had two kids together like the one they already had the one whenever they kidnapped colleen and then they went on to have another one does she does she do you go into like say how she escaped or whatever or did she just like leave one day well no we'll we'll get to it so when janice tells colleen she's leaving colleen begs her to stay because she's afraid of what will happen to her if it's just Colleen and Cameron alone. Yeah, makes sense. And I don't know why it took Janice seven years to do this, but the next day, after she told Colleen she was leaving, her and Colleen get into her car and they both drive to Janice's parents' house. So Janice's parents live close by and she still stayed with this guy? Yeah. I wonder if he, like, threatened to, like, kill her parents or something. Probably. Mm -hmm. Oh, we'll get to the manipulation. Oh. Yeah. So they both stay at Janice's parents for quite some time. Colleen had promised Janice that she would not go to the police. And then eventually Colleen is reunited with her family. So this whole leaving the house thing happened three months before Janice went to the church to meet with the preacher and the detectives. So Colleen did not go to the police, which is fine. Yeah, I mean, she probably thought the police wouldn't even believe her to begin with. She was just happy to be back with her family. Yeah, and then it took another three months for Janice to go say anything to anybody. This is so weird. (sighs) So, detectives get in contact with Colleen, and she tells them her story. They say her story matches Janice's story, and ask her if she knows anything about Marliz. And Colleen says that all she knows is... Cameron had a photo of a woman with dark curly hair and bright blue eyes hanging on the wall, and this confirmed the rest of Janice's story that Marliz was most likely murdered by Cameron. Okay, yeah, that's good to gather that. And there's a couple other things that we're going to get to that also... But no body, no, like, physical evidence, nothing. Correct. 
Um, so without Janice's testimony, there really wasn't a case here to get Cameron for murder. And that's pretty easy for an attorney to be like, okay, well, there's no proof of this. She just made up the story. Yeah. So her husband would get in trouble. Exactly. So detectives take Janice up and down Highway 44 and Highway 299, checking all the side roads to see if Janice could remember where they had buried Marla's body. But it's been like eight years at this point. I mean, all roads look the same to me, so I wouldn't be any help. Oh, yeah. No, unless it was a place I was extremely familiar with. I almost drove past our house today. <laughs> Wait, unless it's March specifically, I'm Actually, not going to remember. I did drive past our house today, and then I had to back into the parking, or the, 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 the drive. I was I thought that was weird that you backed into the driveway. <laughs> now I know. I had to back in because I passed it up. Uh, well, Dustin usually parks on this side of the house, mm-hmm. not the other side, so I got confused. But anyways, so Janice couldn't remember where they'd gone, and this entire area is very, very heavily wooded. So, like, it would be super easy to bury a body here and just get away with it. Yeah, because there's so much area. Yeah. So, without finding Marlis's body, without any sort of confession from Cameron Hooker, the DA's office doesn't think there's enough evidence to pursue a homicide conviction. And if they try it once and fail... That's it. That's it. Double jeopardy, babe. Yeah. So instead, they decide to pursue the kidnapping of Colleen Stan instead to make sure that Cameron is convicted of at least one of his crimes and sent to jail. Also, can you pull up a photo of him real quick? I need you to see this man's mouth. (laughs) What's his last name again? Hooker. That's right. Because his mouth looks like a butthole. It does look like a butthole. <laughs> I don't like his hair either. It looks like a puckered butthole. <laughs> he even puckers his mouth. What the hell? <laughs> it's so not cute. It's so bad. Oh, that's where I know this story from. Uh, I listened to um, Murder, Mystery, and Makeup with Bailey Sarian, oh. and, I, and she covered Colleen Stan. Oh, but, but I she see... didn't do she didn't do like the first half with all of the like yes paranormal stuff. Yeah. Did she cover Marliz? I don't know. I just remember her talking about Colleen Stan. I have never heard about Marie Elizabeth. I thought you were going to say Bailey. I thought you were going to say Bailey Sarian. I'm like, I'm going to punch you. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's great. Love her. Um, But no, I never heard of Marie Elizabeth ever. But I've definitely heard of Colleen Stan. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know. It's, It's crazy. Um, but anyways, so in 1985, Cameron Hooker went to trial for the sex crimes and kidnapping of Colleen Stan, and they pull out all the punches at trial. They have the actual wooden box where Cameron kept Colleen locked up for 20 hours a day. It's literally like six feet long, maybe two and a half feet wide and a foot deep. So literally like not even enough to like wiggle around. Like you're, you're just sitting there straight back. Yeah, it's horrific. And Colleen is here today, and she continues to tell her story, and it's just so fucking tragic. What happened to both of them? Yeah. But, like, seven years. Oh, God. So Colleen tells of being tied up and whipped and being forced to watch Cameron and Janice having sex. He literally tortured and sexually abused and beat and manipulated and burned and shocked Colleen for over seven years at his house that he shared with his wife and two children on Oak Street. This is literally just like the one that we covered last week, except he didn't have like kids. Yeah, that's true. Kids living in the house. He had his daughter, but she was complicit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. Huh. God. So Colleen also stated that Cameron said to her, quote, go ahead and scream. I'll cut your vocal cords. I've done it before, end quote. Referring to Marlis. Yes. So there is literally no doubt in my mind yeah, that he murdered her. They just can't prove it. Exactly. And Colleen also got the head box so anytime cameron was beating or torturing her she was tied up and her head was placed in the wooden box as to not be heard colleen states that the more she fought him the longer the torture went on and the more excited he got so she did her best to just tolerate the pain and try not to fight back it was a turn on for him to like 
have them fight back and him like subdue them. Oh yeah. Oh, it's so disgusting. So not only did Cameron physically abuse Colleen, here's where the mental torture comes in. Colleen states that the reason she never left, despite having much more freedom in the later years of her captivity, is because Cameron told her a secret society named The Company would kill her and her family. A lot of uh, kidnappers use that. They, they say that they're part of this company that watches... A secret society. Yeah, watches the families or whatever, and that they'll kill them if they give them the signal or whatever. Yes! Yeah, that's not the first time I've heard that. <sighs> so this company was something that Cameron had made up, which was a large, powerful organization that had the green light to torture and kill her family if she tried to escape. He'd even gone so far as to type up paperwork on official letterhead that was a contract Colleen had to sign, allowing Cameron to do whatever he wanted to her. Which is probably another reason that she didn't go to the cops, because she probably thought that thing was real, yeah. and that if she did go to the cops, she would get in trouble with the law, or like nothing would happen anyway, because she supposedly signed that legal document. Exactly. Yeah. Like, the brainwashing. I would like to think that I would not be able to be brainwashed by someone. I literally never believe anybody. I'm like, why? Who? What? For what reason? I ask too many questions. They'd get so annoyed. They'd get so annoyed with me. They'd send you back. They'd be like, you can go back now. Thank you. Um, okay, now this is wild. Towards the end of her captivity, Colleen was allowed to get a job as a hotel maid, and she even visited her family with Cameron. What? But she was so brainwashed by him, and she acted like everything was fine, and her parents thought that she had joined a cult. That would make sense, because that was the time, like, that was the era of that, especially since they were in California. Exactly. And they didn't want to press the issue too hard because if they did, they thought that she would never come visit again. Also pretty normal. Uh, And they even took photos of Colleen and Cameron together on these visits as like boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, she probably just thought that that Cameron was the cult leader and he was just a little bit older. She was bewitched by him. Yeah. Something like that. And in reality... He had kidnapped her and had her for seven years. That's so wild. Oh my god, it's so disturbing. So, unfortunately, the murder of Marliz could not be brought up in the trial. Only what happened to Colleen. Wait, did I already say he was arrested? I thought you did, that they took him into custody. They just couldn't uh, try him for Marliz. They're just doing it for Colleen. Oh, okay. Because she's testifying. Oh, yes. Okay. So, while Cameron Hooker is on trial, the murder of Marliz could not be brought up. Only what happened to Colleen. But the judge, Judge Knight, knew what kind of man Cameron Hooker was, and he stated in court, quote, I consider this defendant to be probably the most dangerous psychopath that I've ever dealt with, if for no other reason than that he appears to be exactly the opposite of what he is. I feel you'll always be a danger to women as long as you're alive, so I'm going to give you as much time as I can, end quote. And he did. Good. So Cameron Hooker was convicted of 10 counts of raping, kidnapping, sodomy, and other sexual charges that could be served consecutively. And in the end, he was sentenced to 104 years to the California State Prison in San Mateo and unfortunately is still alive today. I can't believe he hasn't gotten murdered by another inmate. I Normally, know. those are the first ones to go. Yeah. If you if you hurt women in any way or children, they're going to kill you. Yeah. God. So, okay. Well, this is bonkers so at hooker's last parole hearing he was trying to get parole due to some sort of elderly convict thing in 2015 because he's old he thinks he could just get out yes and his eligibility for a parole hearing was denied for 15 years until 2030 he attempted to advance his parole eligibility hearing but the parole board denied that request according to the tehama county district attorney's office Changes to state law that are beneficial to inmates, specifically changes to good conduct credit available to inmates. 
Hooker was released on parole to the Department of State Hospitals in 2021. So he's like in a mental hospital. Yes. And he is now eligible for full release due to changes in state laws, but prosecutors want to have him relabeled as a sexually violent predator. And the next trial date is set for March 9th, 2024. That's like a month from now. Yeah. So if he is found to be a sexually violent predator, then he will not be released from the state hospital, which... How could you I don't not? understand. I, like, just based on what he did to Colleen, how could you not? For seven years. Mm-hmm. And he probably did more stuff before that. Like, he probably did the Peeping Tom thing. I'm sure he sexually abused some sort of, uh, like, probably, like, teenage friends that he had. Yeah. He definitely did other stuff before he just up and kidnapped somebody. Because you work up to that. Oh, 100%. The escalation of it all. So, um, devastatingly, Marliz and her family did not get the justice they deserved in court for her name specifically, but Colleen did get to see her kidnapper and torturer sentenced to jail time. And as of November 22nd, 2023, he is still at the state hospital, and I hope he dies a slow and painful death and fucks all the way off. I hope he gets prostate cancer. (laughs) That would be nice. Oh, a painful way to go. Now, we cannot leave this story without circling back to our girl, Jodie Foster. Who made all this shit up for attention. She did not. (laughs) I believe her so much. I mean, you can believe her all you want. I empower you to believe (laughs) Jodie. Now, there's a couple things. Okay, hold on. So, she and her daughter had moved out of the apartment and things went back to normal for a little while. A couple years after moving out of the apartment, Jody started having these weird dreams again. The dreams about the couple, and then she kept dreaming about the number 35.76, as well as the letter A and the number 17. And Jody is thinking that this is maybe pertinent information for the investigators. And it's 2008 at this point. So she calls the police department to give them this information and the guy who answered the phone was like, why are you calling right now? Like, right now, today. That's what I would ask. And the reason he asked this is because they had just reopened Marie Elizabeth Spanicky's cold case that day in 2008. That's just coincidence. You stop it. (laughs) It's real. It's a real thing. Ah. So Jody meets with a detective at a coffee shop and explains she used to live in Marliz's apartment and how she's had all these dreams and weird things happen. And it turns out there is, in fact, a road on the route from Chico to Red Bluff named A-17. Coincidence. No, ma'am. <laughs> So the investigators meet back with Janice, Cameron's wife, who was a little skeptical about meeting with them again after all these years, but she does have immunity in this case. So she agrees to speak with them again and see if she can remember where Marliz's remains were buried. Still nothing. Jumping in time again to August 1st, 2021, which was 45 years after Marliz went missing. And Jody once again meets with the lead investigator. And she'd first reach out in 2008, and now it's 2021, so some time has passed. And the detective sits down with Jody and explains that after she'd given them the information about the numbers, they'd set up some sort of computer mapping software, punched in the numbers that she had given them, which was 35.76, as a mile radius from where Marliz's remains might be from the Hooker household, on route a 17 and that is that is almost the exact radius that they had narrowed the search down to from the information that they got from janice's testimony they'd actually narrowed it down to 35.77 miles not 35.76 but you know i'll take it but to this day marliz's remains have never been found poor marliz i know Uh, She needs to be haunting some more children so they can uncover where she is. I know. Whoever's at that apartment. I have a great idea. We should reach out to the people who live in that apartment right now. We should call them right now. You should. call the office. You can. (laughs) I was going to say you should use your Ouija board and channel her. 
I did buy you a Ouija board, so you can use... Not with me, but you can use it with Dustin. Oh, after you leave. Yeah. You don't want any part of it? I do not. (laughs) I don't think that the spirits... I don't think the spirits would appreciate my sarcasm and believing that they are not real. (laughs) And I believe. And, oh, you know what? You can do it with Kayla, because she fully believes in it. And she makes fun of me all the time, because I don't, and she gets so mad at me. Yeah. Well, Dustin doesn't either. Yeah, because they're not real. They are real. They're not. He gets so mad whenever I watch ghost uh, stories or ghost hunters. Not real. He hates it so much. Um, oh my God. Okay. We are approaching the end here. So now we're going to end with a statement from Marliz's sister. And this was actually at the end of this documentary I watched as she is walking up to the apartment where her sister disappeared more than 45 years earlier. And she states, quote, This is the apartment building my sister Marliz moved into. She was going to start her new life here in Chico. I was kind of hoping she would realize her dream out here. Sometimes I would go see movies and think, God, that looks like Marliz, you know? But then after a while, I was just hoping, you know, just blind hope. I think Marliz's story never got told because it never got finished. There was no body. Cameron Hooker went to prison for what he did to Colleen and my sister is still out there waiting for justice. End quote. She needed to be haunting some more kids' toys. <laughs> the Ernie doll. The Ernie. <laughs> uh, and that's that on that. You know what we can say to Cameron Hooker? Oh, he can fuck off all the, all all the way. way. Several times over. And he can... And his mouth looks like a goddamn butthole. And he, can go, <laughs> he can go pound sand with his yeah. butthole-looking mouth. <laughs> oh, my God. So... That was the paranormal story of Jodie Foster, the kidnapping and enslavement of Colleen Stan, and the murder of Marie Elizabeth Spanicky. And not... And I'm exhausted. Not Jodie from Sons of Williams. Correct. Isn't there an author named Jodie Foster? Probably. Okay. Uh, who knows? There's no way to know. Probably not. <laughs> uh, you have to go channel um, Marliz and see if she speaks to you through your Ouija board. I know. I hope she's she gonna. Does. She's gonna make some numbers. Thirty-five point. Was it seven <gasps> seven? Thirty-five seven. Seven. Yep. Seven. She's gonna channel you, and she'll be like, "This is where I am." I'm gonna do go that. find me. I know you're fucking with me right I now. I am fucking with you, but, but I know you're actually doing it. Oh, before Don't you go, you me. Yes. we are gonna be at trivia at the Brew Lab in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, on March twentieth, the Wednesday. Yes. It's March twentieth, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, the Brew Lab. We're going to throw some true crime trivia at y'all. Yes. So study up. Yes. And come join us. Yep. My friend Taylor invited us. Uh, Kendra goes to that trivia every single week. Oh. She brings duck. Ducky. Last week, um, she did not bring duck. I think because it was raining or something. Uh. But um, since they did not bring duck, their team name was Duckless, but not Luckless, which oh, I thought funny. was funny because <laughs> they like won. That. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so if you want to come say hi, um, maybe we'll bring our merch with us. Oh, we also have more merch. Do we have merch? Yeah. Right? We have a couple coffee cups. I don't have the the tumblers, so I don't know how many we have of those. But we do have some tumblers. Do I have those? Yeah, you have those. Oh, okay. All right. We'll have to find those. Okay. Well, <laughs> we'll take uh, we'll take orders. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, before you go. Follow us on Instagram at hashtag murderpod. Spell it all out. And if you like this, give us five stars. I don't see why not. And leave us a review so we can read it. Yes. Because they're real funny. Oh, do we have a new review? We do have a new review. One moment. Uh, Yes, from Miss Mel Ann. Or maybe Mr. Mel Ann. There's no way to know. Um, they said, loving the banter and the fact that the cases aren't the same as other crime story podcasts. Some of these cases are incredibly interesting. Great job. I think we do do a good job of picking ones that have not been covered by other podcasts. Yeah, but only some of them are incredibly interesting. Yeah, only Most some. Of, some of them are incredibly she's, boring. <laughs> she's talking about mine. They're interesting. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Oh, thank you, Mel Ann. We appreciate it. And we have a Patreon. We do have a new hash brown. Ooh. Whose name I cannot remember right now. God damn it, Scarlet. It's on my notes on the other phone. So we're going to have to shout them out next week. That's I am okay. I'm so sorry. Um, But other than that, I am very sweaty and there's pizza to eat. Yep. And I'm tired. 
Oh. I was in the car for like two hours. Ridiculous. Oh, trying to get here? Yeah, so I went from um, my house to the hub, which is normally, oh. I don't know, 20-ish minutes. Yeah. It took me over an hour to get there. No. Then I did all my, I did all my shit there. Yeah. Um, and then it took me about uh, 40 minutes to get here, which is pretty normal. That checks out. So almost two hours in the car. God so damn. much fun. You need to get out of here. Yeah, I gotta go um, walk. Go night night. I gotta go walk Ducky Butt and go night night. You're going back home, home? Yeah, I'm babysitting Duck this weekend. Oh. Kendra's going on vacation. Oh, good so for me her. and Duck are gonna throw a house party um, of four. The other two guests being Katniss and Newt. <laughs> Fig Newton. Fig Newton. Uh, yeah, you sent me a picture of Murphy the other day. I was like, I really don't know if that's. Fig Newton or the Murphalurf. Um So Murphalurf but Newton's um, got the mittens. Newton has the white mittens on all four paws, um, and he has a white chest, uh-huh. and he is uh, like not as orange as Murphy, who's like bright orange. He's very orange. Yes, he and, is carrot top. And Murphy's a big boy. He's fourteen pounds. <laughs> Newton's still a baby, so he's only like oh, I don't know eight or nine pounds. He's just a baby. Oh my god. Oh, all right. Well, I'm gonna let you go, and I'm gonna go do stuff. So and eat pizza, uh, dessert pizza, dessert pizza. Yeah. Well, thanks for hanging out. Love, Love you. Bye. bye. Ghosts are not real. Bye. Yes, they are. Hashtag Ernie. Bye bye bye. <laughs> Be fun. Have safe. Be fun. Have safe. Thank you for listening to Hashtag Murder. Episodes are written and edited by Alex Lewis and Scarlett Hipton. Our intro and outro music is written and played by Derek Branton. Our cover art is by the lovely Lauren Walker. And our name was created by the most wonderful, supportive, and super hot boyfriend, Dustin Branton. We hope you've enjoyed your time with us. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or ideas, you can reach us at hashtag murderpod at gmail.com. That's H-A-S-H-T-A-G murderpod at gmail.com. And don't forget to tell all of your friends about us. Thanks. Bye. No, I just came up here to tell you that I love you and to break a leg and be fun, have safe. Be fun, have safe. Okay. We will do all of the above. And the church shit head. You're a shithead. You're a shithead. All right. No, I've never seen that. Mm-hmm. It looks like something I would be into. Yeah, it was very good. I read it in like, I don't know, first grade, something like that. Oh. But very good. Maybe it was past my prime. I'll have to look into it, though. Mm-hmm. Anything late 90s, early 2000s, I'm here for. Yep. Not only were these paranormal... <laughs> Not only... And he tells Jody that no one ever lived in the apartment long and that, or, god damn it. Because I am a daydream believer. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I believe the dreams. Not disappearance. D- disappearance. <laughs> and, and Des Moines. <laughs> or Des Moines. Des Moines. <laughs> She learns that her disappearance may, may be. <laughs> okay. Are you fixing it? I'm just. Uh, so I can no. See it in real time. Uh, Matt, uh, Kayla's ex husband, was over at our house the other day uh, yeah. doing man shit, mountain TVs for us. Because yeah. um, I'm not a power tools lesbian. Yeah. Yeah. And he wrote on our little calendar January 32nd. Drive 30 hours. Mow- hours. <laughs> Doesn't think there's enough evidence to preserve. <laughs> Convicted is con. <laughs> you drank too much today. Did you smoke some of the devil's lettuce today? No. Get this. Okay. That she acted like everything was pine. Pine. And his eligibility. Because he's elderly, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. November 22nd, 2003, he is still at the... What did I say? 2003. (laughs) Oh my god. Sometimes, yeah, no, yes. Paranormal... So yeah, she barfed and she was doing that... And Justin was like... He was like, if she has to try that hard, she probably doesn't need to barf. You're trying too hard here. You're trying too hard, boo. (laughs) I was like, he was like, no one should have to try that hard to barf.
Uh, but then I needed to remind him how dramatic he is whenever he is about to barf. <gasps> dramatic. 